1 Samuel chapter number 1 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am I not, am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. She vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, and I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Let's go back and let's read verse number 6 once more and then we'll pray. The Word of God says, And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You again for this time You've given us. Pray that You'd bless Your Word and that You would speak to hearts. Now help us to be surrendered as You speak to our hearts, to be obedient to the leading of Your Spirit in all things. We'll be sure to give You the glory for it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. The passage that's set before us tonight is, for most of us, not an unfamiliar one. Most of us have read the story about Elkanah and Hannah and about the birth of Samuel. 
But there's a phrase that interested me, and I want to preach to you tonight on it, in verse number 6, where the Word of God says, And her adversary also provoked her sore. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight on the thought, Provoked unto prayer. As we look at the life of Hannah, we find that her life begins with a problem. We don't really know anything about Hannah before this problem arises in her life. In fact, you could almost say that Hannah was sort of a problem child, if we could speak tongue-in-cheek. Her whole existence was defined by a problem. I want you to note first off her desire. Look what it says there in verse number uh, 3. The Bible says, or I'm sorry, verse number 5. The Word of God says, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. That tells us a little bit about her desire. Now, again, you you can say I'm thrown back into the Stone Ages if you want, but I'm just giving you some Bible truth. Uh, At this time in human history, a woman's ability to bear children was basically at the very center of her being and existence. They considered barrenness to be a curse from God. Uh, Every woman alive, for the most part, in this culture would have had a desire to bear children. I'm sure Hannah, in fact, the story bears it out to be true, that Hannah also had a desire to have a child. That was what her whole world was revolving around. Can I just say that there's times in our life, and and I'm guilty of this, and I bet you are too, there's times in our life when a good thing gets in a bad place, and we get to the place where our whole world is revolving around something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a bad thing tonight. I'm talking about a good thing. I think it's a good thing if it's the Lord's will for you, for you to have children. I don't think that's a bad thing. The Bible says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full. You see, I don't think that there was anything wrong with Hannah's desire here, except that this desire had taken a place that it shouldn't have taken in her life. So she had a great desire. Then I want you to notice her great despair. The Bible says even though she had this desire that the Lord was, uh, was operating contrary to her desire. And by the way, there's times that the Lord does that. I know that the, that the Word of God uh, says that if we'll delight in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our hearts. There's two ways to read that, neighbor. You can either read that, that God's going to give us anything that we want. Well, is that true? I mean, is that true that a person that delights themselves in the Lord gets everything that they want? I I think the basic testimony of human experience would tell us that that's not how that verse is to be interpreted. Instead, I think it ought to be read this way, that if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. He'll give us the desires that we ought to have. I'm not changing what the Bible says. I'm just reading it without having a preconceived bias in my mind. We have a narcissistic bend towards the way we read the Bible. You know that? We we tend to read the Bible like it's all about us. When it's not all about us, it's all about Him. And and I I think if we read that carefully, what we'll find out is God's not saying He's going to give us everything that we want. Uh, God's saying He's going to give us the desires and the wants, uh, the want to. Like Lester Olaf, you say, and I always like this, he used to say, ever since I got saved, I drink as much as I want to. He'd say, I I, I cuss as much as I want to. I I, I mean, I I go out and and I'm in the honky-tonks as much as I want. He says, the Lord changed my want to. I think when we really get in tune with the Lord and fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, He changes our want to about some things. So the Lord is working contrary to her desire, and it causes a despair in her life. We saw it down about verse number 9. We won't read it. But she said, the Bible says that she was in bitterness of soul. This is a woman that has a problem. 
Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I would just ask you to consider yourself as I ask this question. How many of us have a problem? I'd say a lot of us, we're to be honest, uh, we may not tell folks, we may not share it with a church family, we may not give it as prayer requests, but we have some problems in our life that we're struggling with right now. You're not alone, you're not the only person, you're not the first person, you're not the last person to deal with a problem. I mean, this wasn't just a minor inconvenience for Hannah, this was, uh, was consuming her very being. This wasn't just a passing thing that she wanted and wasn't getting. I mean, this consumed her every day. This is a woman that had a problem in her life. Then I want you to notice the derision that she faced. And here's where I want to preach for a few moments. The Bible tells us that she had an adversary. And I'm going to try to just be real quick and real simple and preach real fast, uh, not so that we can get to the Super Bowl, but so that we can fellowship. Amen? I I made my mind up I was going to do my best not come into the house of God and deflate you tonight. Amen? Somebody say amen to that. And uh, I'm I'm not going to fuss at those that made the right choice over those that made the wrong choice. Amen? I'm thrilled that you're here tonight. Uh, but but I, I, I want us to notice the adversary that she had. Can I say that we have an adversary? If you're a child of God, you have an adversary tonight. If you're born again, you have an adversary. You may not, you may not have a consciousness that you have an adversary or, 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 or a desire to fight that adversary. You may not be willing to see that you have an adversary. But there's no question, if you're saved tonight, you have an adversary. And Peter said it this way, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You have an enemy tonight. I know we all like to hold hands and sing kumbaya and pretend like there's no fights, like there's no uh, squabbles, like there's no difficulty. But, but let me just serve notice on you tonight. You ought not be in a battle with your brethren. You ought not be in a battle with your church family. But I'll tell you, you are in a battle tonight. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place. And you have an enemy. I want you to notice tonight, the Bible says that Penina, who was the other wife, of Elkanah. And by the way, let, let me just pause here and say this. I've had people ask about this, uh, about polygamy in the Old Testament. Let me tell you something. There were some things that God winked at, but God never blessed it. Look all through the Old Testament, you'll find examples of polygamy. But every time that the, the marriage bed was open to more than two people, every time, it always caused problems. And so as Elkanah has two wives, Penina and Hannah, the Bible says that Penina, uh, you know, she, she seems to be blessed. She's got children. She's got sons. She's got daughters. Let me just say that if, if you're going to judge the end of this thing by this moment right now, you're going to get awful discouraged. Because right now it sure looks like the devil's got more children than the Lord does. If you're going to judge the end of this thing by by this moment, you're going to be awful discouraged because it sure seems like the devil's winning. We've read the back of the book. We know the end of the story. We're trusting Him who's not only the author of our faith, but is the finisher of our faith. But I'm telling you, if you get looking too hard at right now, you're going to get discouraged because in that moment it seemed like Penina had the upper hand. I want us to look at the aim of the adversary. The Bible says every year they go up to worship. When they would go up to worship, verse number 6, read it again, says this, And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. 
every year when they go up to the house of God, Penina would come up alongside Hannah, would begin to taunt her, would begin to instigate her, would begin to regale her, uh, would begin uh, to, to, uh, to make fun of her, would, would begin to debase her and to try to humiliate her over her barrenness. Can I say that we have, not only do we have a Lord that encourages us, but we have an adversary that seeks to discourage us. And he'll do everything he can to come up alongside you and to cause three things to happen. I, I believe that these are the three things that, that Penina was trying to accomplish. She wasn't just doing it for entertainment. There was three things that she was trying to cause in the life of Hannah. I want you to know, first off, I believe that she is trying to provoke her to concern. Verse number 6 says explicitly that her design for to make her fret. She was trying to get Hannah to quit trusting the Lord. She was trying to get Hannah to quit trusting God with her situation. Do you know the chief means, the chief purpose, the chief ideal behind Satan's taunting and tempting of us? The chief purpose, not just because it entertains him, not just so he can have another feather in his cap, another notch in his belt. The reason that Satan is doing it is he's trying to drive you away from an effectual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to point out your problems and say, you see those problems? Those aren't your problems. Those are the failures of God. By the way, if Penina came alongside Hannah and said, The Lord caused this, listen carefully, she would have been right. I didn't expect us to do a backflip on that, so that went how I was expecting. She would have been right. Here's the thing, though. Penina didn't love her like the Lord loved her. Can I tell you something? The devil knows just enough of the Bible to be dangerous. Uh, you know, it, it's a lot more dangerous to know a little bit of the Bible than it is to know none of the Bible. And, and, and the devil knows enough of it to try to come along and twist Scripture out of context, plug it into your mind, and give you reason to not trust God. Can I give you a basis, a foundational principle here? Always trust God. I know that's simple, but sometimes it's the simple things that we need. Always trust God. There'll never be a time in your life where trusting God will be a mistake. There'll never be a time in your life where you step back and say, God, I'm going to put this situation in your hands where you're making the wrong move. When we don't know anything else to do, we can always trust God. The devil's doing everything he can to try to cause us uh, to fret, to be in concern, to be worried. We all worry, man. I don't care who you are. I, I know you ever meet those people uh, that, man, they don't ever worry. You ever met anyone like that? They're annoying, aren't they? <laughs> Obnoxious, aren't they? Hey, they may try to hide it, and they may hide it better than some do, but I don't care who you are. We all worry. We all get troubled. We all get shaken in our mind at times. The reason is because the adversary that we have. You say, well, you know, I, I don't know, preacher. I think it's just me. Well, Paul would disagree with you because he said there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Whatever you're going through, you mark her down. There's someone else going through it too. There's someone else dealing with it. You may not know them. You may know them. It may be somebody you've ever met, or it might be your very best friend in the world. There's somebody going through what you're going through. 
The devil's doing his best to make you feel isolated and alone and poor and miserable and helpless and is trying to convince you that the Lord is not your help. Read through the book of Psalms sometimes. You, you know what the theme of the book of Psalms is? The Lord is my helper and He's worthy to be praised. You go through the Psalms. That, that, that's the basic theme of the book of Psalms. All 150 chapters. The basic theme is that the Lord is my helper and He's worthy to be praised. I mean, there wasn't a new song that could be written. I think when we get to heaven, that new song's going to have an old message. And I think that old message, it could be summed up in a nutshell by saying that the Lord is my helper and He's worthy to be praised. Let me tell you something tonight. The devil will do everything he can to try to get you to quit trusting God. He'll try to point to your problems. He'll try to point to your failures. He'll try to point to your confusion. He'll try to point to the things that you don't understand and the things that you can't figure out. But uh, let me tell you something. He may want to be telling you the beginning of it, but He's not telling you the end of it. He's telling you in the immediate, but He's not telling you the future. We've got a God that sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. It doesn't worry or bother God one bit. He's worthy to be trusted tonight. He's never failed you. He's never forsaken you. He's never dropped the ball. He's never let anything slip. He doeth all things well, and we ought to just trust Him. So I think that he was trying to, she was trying to provoke her to concern. But notice the second thing. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. I believe she was trying to provoke her to complain and try, or not to complain, but to concern. But I think she was trying to provoke her to quit. Every single year they'd come up to the house of God. And every single year, Penina would go with them. Every single year she'd say, Hannah, it's useless. Hannah, this year ain't going to change. It's going to be just the same. And I don't know, maybe this is just a little sanctified imagination, but I'd kind of imagine maybe Penina said something like this to her. Why don't you just stay home? It's not going to make a difference anyway. Year by year. Can I tell you something? You don't ever come through the doors of the house of God, but what you've got to fight off, a spiritual warfare to come through the doors of the house of God. Every time you come up, year by year, there will be a Penina standing along the roadside saying, there's no point. There's no, there's no purpose why don't you just stay home? Why do you, you listen? You won't walk into your prayer closet, but you'll have to go through a gauntlet of deme- demonic oppression trying to keep you from the prayer closet. You say, "Oh, that's dramatic, preacher." No, that's true. That's true. You've got an adversary. He wants to keep you from your Bible. He wants to keep you from your prayer closet. He wants to keep you from the house of God. He wants to keep you from witnessing. He wants to keep you from encouraging others in the Word of God. I'm telling you that year by year, this adversary will be there trying to get you to quit, trying to get you to stop. I've heard that voice. I'm sure you have. Oh, I don't mean an audible voice, but I mean that voice in our mind that comes along and says, there's no point. There's no point. 
I always think, I always tell folks this. Let me, let me preface this statement by saying that I feel immensely blessed at the goodness of God in my life. So let me preface this statement. But but people, you know, preachers always ask. You don't matter. Uh, you, you you could be you could see a preacher that you've never met. I, I mean, you could be. You know how motorcyclists riding down the road they see each other. They'll do that hand like this right here. They'll they'll do the, do that wave. Uh, preachers, if they knew they was preachers, they'd holler. And you know what they'd ask each other? They'd say, "How many are you running now?" Because <laughs> that's how preachers are. So they always want to know, how many are you running now? And I usually tell folks, you know, well, I give them a ballpark. I say, I really don't keep track anymore. Uh, I used to keep track. And, uh, and I'm not, I don't think it's a sin to have the boards that have the numbers or whatever. I, I, think, I think it can be a discouragement sometimes. An unneeded and unwelcome discouragement. But, but, but I'm not necessarily against it. But here's what happened with me. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if I've shared this with the church at large. But, but when I first came here, I, I mean, I was keeping track. The day I was voted in, there, there was, I believe, 46 people that voted on the day that I was voted in. Within six months, we, we was tipping 100. That's growth right there. I was excited, man. And then in just a few months, we quickly grew to 60. Amen. And I quit keeping count. Here's how I feel about numbers. I believe when numbers glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe it's okay to talk about numbers. But I believe it's a dangerous game to play because sometimes that becomes what your whole philosophy of ministry is vested in. And by that measure, the Lord Jesus Christ was a failure because the closer He got to the cross, the smaller the crowd got. He went from multitudes to just a handful of women and John there by the cross. So he would be a failure by that same... But I've heard that voice before. I've heard that voice. Why do you do it? No point, no point in it. No reason to do it. No reason to go. No reason to give out a track. No reason to visit a shut-in. No reason to go. He's doing everything he can to make us quit. You better get it through your head whose voice that is speaking because it's not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God won't ever convince you to quit serving the Lord. I've heard people say, well, you know, we just needed a break. A break from what? Uh, people say, well, we just needed a rest. You know what the Bible... Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. He said, rest comes through service. Isn't that what, isn't that what it says? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. He said, you're weary, you're heavy laden, let me put my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest therein. Don't you believe for one minute that the devil, that the Lord's trying to get you out of church? People say, oh, well, I just needed a break. No, you didn't need a break. You needed to be broken. And I get that way. All of us get that way. You didn't need a rest. You needed a revival. That's what you needed, same as that's what I need at times. I see that he was trying, she was trying to provoke her to concern and to quit. But look at verse number 7 again. Look at the end of the phrase. The Word of God says, Therefore she wept and did not eat. Boy, it must have bugged Penina. Boy, it must have bugged her. Here it is in her mind, man, it's a party to go up. She's going to get gifts. Elkanah is going to treat her and her boys and her girls to anything that they want. I mean, it's their vacation. It's their trip. They're having a good time. There's old Hannah, wet blanket on the whole thing, just a-weeping and not eating. What was she doing in weeping? She was praying. I believe that the devil provokes us to try to, to provoke us to concern and to quit, but I think he tries to provoke us to quiet ourselves in the prayer closet. You've heard that voice before. 
what's the use in praying? God don't hear anyway. I had someone say to me, in fact, just yesterday, they was talking about their discouragement in their Christian walk, and they said, there's no use in praying. God doesn't hear me anyway. That's someone that the devil's gotten a victory in their life. doesn't have to stay that way, but at that moment, in that moment, in that period of time, that's how it was. The devil had gotten a victory. He knows, listen, he... There's a lot of things that the devil can, can stop you from doing and you still be worthwhile to the cause of Christ. But if he can stop you from praying, you're useless. Useless. There is a reason the devil attacks prayer more than he attacks anything else. I, I, I say this as a preacher. I can preach, but preaching without prayer is powerless and useless and worthless. We can, we can hand out tracts. Handing out tracts, it means nothing without prayer. We can teach a Sunday school class, but it's useless without prayer. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the most valuable tool in the Christian's artillery and in the Christian's weaponry in this spiritual warfare. He's doing everything he can to stop us from praying. I think the great deficit in the church today is not great promoters, but great prayers. I think the great deficit in Christianity today is not that we lack exposure. It's not that we lack technological means. Listen, we live in a day where it's cheaper, it's more feasible to get gospel messages and gospel tracts all over the world. I would say that the gospel is probably saturating the world today more than it ever has in human history, and yet still we slip further and further into the darkness of, of infidelity and the darkness of godlessness. What's missing in the church today? It's prayer that's missing. It's prayer that's missing. We, we, we've quit having the all-night prayer meetings. And our churches are dying because of it. The devil's doing everything he can to quiet us and to cause us not to pray. Well, we see the aim of the adversary. But I want you to notice with me, this encourages me. Notice the actions of the afflicted. Now, Hannah had a choice, just as you do tonight. You've got a problem, and the Lord has... has Shut your womb up, so to speak. And you're struggling. The devil is coming along beside you and trying to discourage you. You have a choice tonight. I think you ought to respond as Hannah did. Notice again verse 7. I want you to see her patience. The Bible says, And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord. That first she that's spoken of is Hannah. The second she that is spoken of here is speaking of Penine. The first she is speaking of Hannah. You know what that tells me? Year by year, she just kept on a-going. You know, that's what patience is. Patience is serving God even when things aren't going how we expect them to. I've said it probably 30 times here lately, but I'm going to say it again. Patience is not just waiting. You can't help but wait. Most of the time, if we could do anything other than wait, we'd do something other than wait. It's no grand virtue to wait. That's just intrinsic to the human experience. What patience is, is serving God in the midst of the waiting. Determining that we're not going to get restless. Give up on the Lord. Me and Brother Kerry were talking about, uh, about people that get out of church. Let me tell you how wicked the devil is. Can I do that? Can I tell you how wicked that the devil is? The devil will get sin in someone's life, or they'll allow the devil to get sin in their life. And they'll grow dissatisfied, because Christians with sin in their life are dissatisfied. And then when they grow dissatisfied, the devil will come along and he'll say, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that marriage you're in. Or come along and say, you know what your problem is? Your problem uh, is uh, that church that you go to. 
And the devil will deceive them into thinking that everything is the problem except the sin in their life. They'll run off. They'll leave their spouse. They'll get out of church. They'll wreck their home. They'll, they'll, make, they'll, they'll, they'll leave their life in pieces and find out that they're just as dissatisfied as they were the first day they set out on that journey. The devil leaves them broken and used up and abused and walks away laughing at another life that he's wrecked and ruined. That's the kind of devil that, that, that is trying to oppress. That, that's the kind of adversary that you have. Don't get restless on God. I know it's difficult. The flesh always seeks to do something. Sunday school this morning, we, we, we looked at Abel and Cain. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. That's all he did was keep them. Cain was a tiller of the ground, active, energetic. The flesh always wants to move. The flesh always wants to, to do something. The flesh always wants to accomplish something. We have to be yielded to the spiritual man to be willing to wait patiently and serve God even when things aren't going how we expect them to. We see her patience. I want you to notice a second thing. Not only do we see she responded in patience, but look at verse 10. The Bible says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. We see her prayer. She didn't stop praying. Now, let me say this. It's funny how that, that Christians are, and me too. It's all of us. But it, it's funny how Christians are. They'll get a problem, they'll pray, they don't get an answer, and they'll quit praying. Well, that don't make much sense, does it? That doesn't make a We don't do that with anything else in life. Some of you that are still working, you may have gone and asked for a raise. And you didn't get that raise because everybody's broke. <laughs> but you know what you're going to do? Most of you, you're going to keep asking and keep asking, and keep asking. With this philosophy, they can only turn me down so many times. You know why? Because you really believe that they have the wherewithal to give you that raise. You know why we give up on prayer? Because we don't really believe God can answer. It's not because we believe God's done with us. It's not because we believe God, uh, God won't answer. It's because we believe God can't answer. That's why we give up on prayer. To give up on prayer is, is not an expression of being in touch with reality. Because the reality is the Bible says that I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord hath prepared for them that love it. The reality is God wants to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That's the reality. The false reality that we operate under is that God won't do it. But it's really because we believe God can't do it. So we give up. We say, I won't pray anymore because prayer doesn't work. You can judge a Christian by what they believe about prayer. You can measure a Christian by what they believe about prayer. There's lots of carnal people believe the right thing about church. Lots of carnal people believe the right thing about the Bible. Lots of carnal people believe the right thing about music or dress standards. But you mark her down. You find somebody that has a handle on prayer, it's because they've been in touch with the throne room. And you'll find that if you'll be persistent in prayer, we have a faithful God. Amen? We have a faithful God. We see her prayer. I want you to notice a third thing. Not only her patience and her prayer, but verse number 11, her pledge. And she vowed a vow, verse 11, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid. Boy, you, 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 see, a, you see a pattern there, don't you? You see a theme? 
Handmade, handmade, handmade. You know what she's saying? I'm your servant. I'm your servant. I belong to you. I'm your slave. I'm yours to do with as you see fit. She says, but we'll give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. We see her pledge. You know what she did? You know when she finally got victory? When she gave that problem to the Lord, no matter how it turned out. You know, often the reason that God has shut up our womb, so to speak, is because we've made an idol out of the solution to our problems. You ever stop to think, listen carefully, you ever stop to think that the will of God may be for you to have problems sometimes because you're perfected through your problems and through your sufferings? You know when Hannah finally gets victory, when she says, Lord, whether you give me this child or not, I belong to you, and he belongs to you. Now something has changed. Why does she want a child now? Anybody that's ever lost a child, I'm sure, could identify with this truth. I'm sure before she's had this child, that the attitude of a mother before she has had a child would very likely be that I would rather not have a child than have a child and have to give him up. And yet her her response, her attitude is the exact opposite. She knows that if she has this child, she's going to have to give this child up so that he can minister in the temple. Her motivation for prayer has changed. Before it was, Lord, I want a child. Now it's, Lord, I want to see you move. I want to see you work. Before it was, Lord, I want the glory of having a child. I want to show Penina that I'm not barren. Lord, I, I, I want to show everyone that You're blessing me. But now it's not about that anymore. Now it's, Lord, I don't want the glory. I want You to have the glory. And it's then that God answers. She pledged. She gave that to the Lord no matter what it would entail. You know, the best thing you can do with your problem, the best thing you can do is bring your problem to an altar. Say, Lord, I want to give this to you and leave it there. Leave it there. Oh, I know it's tough. You know, the, prob- the problem is, is not that we, that we don't put ourselves on the altar. The problem is we don't stay on the altar. The problem is not that we don't place our burdens down. The problem is that we pick them right back up and carry them back to our seats with us. It, it, it's not a lack of faith to pray continually about a matter. But we find this, that when she placed her burden down, when she took her problem and said, Lord, whatever comes of it, it belongs to you. If I live the rest of my life barren, I'm your handmaid, Lord. I'm your servant. That's your right. The Lord, if you bless me with a child, then he equally belongs to you, and I'll give him right back to you. When she gave that to the Lord, God answered. God, God is not a cruel person. God is not a mean individual. He doesn't withhold things just to withhold things. He withholds things because there's some area of our life that if we got a hold of whatever it is we desire so much, it would destroy us. I don't know about this, but I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that if Hannah had gotten this child before that time, I believe that Samuel would have been an idol unto her. 
Samuel would go on to be the last of the judges, the first of the prophets. It would be through the ministry of Samuel that the nation of Israel would be seen from a theocracy into a monarchy. He is a key figure in the dispensational plan of God for the nation of Israel. He is going to anoint the one whose throne foreshadows the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be the one that's going to facilitate the man with whom the Davidic covenants will be made. I'm telling you, he is an important individual. And very likely, if God had given him to Hannah before that time, he would have grown up like any other little boy. He would have lived as an Ephrathite. He would have have stayed there in Judah. Nothing would have changed. I'm saying this. God's got big plans, not only for your problems, but for your solutions. We need to be careful that we don't get in the way of them. I want you to notice the third thing. I'm just going to touch on this and be done. Notice the answer of the Almighty. How does God respond? Verse 17, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of Him. We see a promise given. We see a promise given. Only when, only when Hannah is truly surrendered to the will of God is this promise given. I think we find here the defining moment between what we would call name it and claim it Christianity and the sure promises of God. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means to pray with ourselves surrendered to His glory and His well-being. If, I was, if you were to say, what does it mean to be in someone's name? You, you might send a messenger. Uh, in, in olden times, a king might send a messenger. And that messenger would just be a common servant, someone of no significance, someone of no importance. Uh, but he would bear with him the royal seal. And when he got to his place of destination where he needed to share whatever information that he possessed, he would show that royal seal. And that person receiving the message, that dignitary hearing what he had to say, would understand, though this person is not important, they have the wishes, the intentions, the desires, the truths, uh, the message of this other person in mind. And so because they have come in their name, they'll be received. In the same way, praying in Jesus' name is not just a little tag or a little signature we slap onto our prayers. I'm guilty of it, and I'm sure you are too. I'm guilty at times of praying for something completely out of the will of God and then saying in Jesus' name. But it's not open sesame. It's not abracadabra. But it means for our prayer to be surrendered and submitted in the way that Hannah's was to the divine, sovereign, providential will of God. Lord, I'm your servant. And whatever it is that you have for me, that's what I want. It's in these conditions that Eli can say, The Lord grant thee thy petition. When we ask for the will of God, we'll always get our prayers answered. Let me say that again. When we pray for the will of God, we'll always get our prayers answered. That's how we have the the perfect prayer record, if we're looking for that. I don't have one. I'm sure you probably don't either. But if we'll always pray for the will of God, then we'll always have our prayers answered. So she receives a promise. Notice the second thing. She receives not only a promise, but verse 18. The Bible says, And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. She received a peace. I'm not going to read a lot, but let me just read to you two verses out of Philippians chapter 4. I'll make you a deal. If I read these, I won't preach this point. Amen? Be careful for nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's peace which passeth all understanding. Nothing changed in Hannah's circumstances. Nothing changed on the outside with Hannah. Something changed on the inside with Hannah. She had a peace now that God had provided for. Notice finally a provision is given. Verse number 19, And they rose up in the morning early, worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her. It was as though God snapped His divine fingers. Her womb was open. Her problem was solved. Her prayer was answered. Why? Why? Because she found the magic formula? No. No. But because the chief purpose of prayer was accomplished in her life, that she might be humbled to the will of God. That's the chief purpose of prayer. Prayer is not our means of hog-tying God into our will. Prayer is God's means of showing us the goodness of His will. It's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. And that's not just lost folks either. That's saved folks too. I believe in repentance after salvation, don't you? I believe when I sin, I need to repent of it. And it's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. So maybe tonight, the thing that you need is not for God to answer. Maybe it's for you to surrender. Maybe God's waiting on you to take that problem and lay it in the throne room. Say, Lord, this belongs to you now. Whatever you see fit to answer, Lord, I'm your servant. Like Hannah said, your handmaid. I belong to you, Lord. And I ask that you'd answer it in a way that glorify you. You've got an adversary tonight. Maybe he's got you right at the point of quitting. Don't quit. Don't quit. I've got a pastor friend, and one of his pastor friends will call him every now and then, leave him a message. All he'll say is, don't compromise. (laughs) I like that. Don't compromise. Don't quit. Don't quit. Nothing's solved by quitting. Nothing's solved by getting out of church. Nothing's solved by leaving the prayer closet. Nothing's solved by closing your Bible. Don't quit. That's what the devil wants. Don't let him quiet you. Don't let him stop your prayer life, and don't let him concern you. Have a trust in God. And you'll find that if you'll commit these things unto Him, a peace which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds.